0: the very rules of evil, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is how can change the world okay. okay. state of things in of violence without object This is the typical violence of Violent, because what happens then is murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a
1: misunderstanding
2: here. Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry. Taylor Atkins is off for the weekend. As always, we are sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before I get started with introducing our guest today, I just want to throw out Taylor and I do have a Patreon at patreon.com/slash/muhh. forward slash M-U-H-H. Definitely consider throwing us a buck to help, you know, support the podcast. Excited to have my my movie counterparts, Lewis and Nick Hi. from <laughs> hey. from a Proletarian Contrarian, joining me again. We just did not long ago that uh, episode on Paprika. Got only a couple months, I think. Yeah, I think we're, we're officially correspondence. <laughs> yeah, there sure. we go. Yeah, point. film correspondence.
0: Correspondent corner.
2: Exactly. Yes,
1: it's true. We haven't even yeah. done our own episodes recently. <laughs> the
2: FCC, the film correspondence corner. Hopefully, next time we can get Taylor to to join in. I think that'll be a, yeah. a good group, the, all, the four of us together. Yeah, we could do the Snyder Cut. <laughs> right? Yes. Jesus. Yes.
0: That's a fantastic <laughs> yeah. idea. Oh, my God. So I, I know I know you've seen it, Lewis. And it's, it's oh, awesome. haven't yeah, seen I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I've heard you great. love it, though. It's great. Is. It's so ridiculous. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> I loved all four hours of it. Four hours and two minutes, I believe, is the actual yeah. runtime. time. Yeah.
2: So today we're looking at the 1995 film by Jim Jarmusch called Dead Man. Jarmusch wrote and directed, of course. The film has a ridiculous cast, ensemble cast. Yes. Mostly, I guess, I don't know if you would, this is a relatively independent film with the $9 million, million dollar budget. But uh, he managed to get, you know, some pretty big name actors Obviously, Depp as the lead, you know, portraying William Blake.
0: You you even have
2: like big names like Iggy Pop in a relatively – a pretty small role. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. And you have people like uh, Billy Bob Thornton in Mm -hmm. another memorable but small role.
1: Um, Gabriel Byrne at this point is is you know getting there um, in terms of his popularity in America. He's he's obviously well more no, more well known in the UK and like Ireland at this point. But I think by now he's in. Uh, I
2: mean, *Usual Suspects* is
1: probably – *Usual Suspects*, uh, Miller's, Crossing, *Miller's Crossing*, the Crossing, Coen yeah. Brothers film,
2: and that's probably it for this side of the pond. He was in uh, *Excalibur* as well. He played. Uber, oh Pendleon. yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, he, I Incredible! I love him. He's one of my favorite actors. I, I've never uh, seen his show you, in treatment, but uh, people like that
2: oh, show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was a HBO too. That, that might. Be I think so. Taking a look. Yeah, at.
0: I think one of the other big names in the movie is Neil Young doing the soundtrack. Oh, apparently, ooh, apparently, I never heard of him. What? Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like okay. I, um, Apparently, it's mostly improvised. He watched. Yeah. He watched the final cut of the of the film and just rocked out apparently which that's that's amazing yeah very him
1: at least for me one of the biggest names in this film is robert mitchum right uh, who, who yes. plays the character of mr dickinson
2: mr dickinson i, john, pre- john, I presume john c calhoun <laughs>
0: yeah he does something john c. <laughs> uh, i believe this was his final role too i think it was i think he dies very he, shortly after this he's the dead man <laughs> right he is the dead man of
1: all these people i think he's maybe the only one who's dead so
2: We've also got Crispin Glover. Yeah, the nice little cameo. Yes, right at the beginning. Lance Henriksen, of course. John Hurt, Michael Wincott, okay. who is fantastic. I th- he was one of yeah. the bright spots, I think, for me in terms of acting wise. Just he's so great. He typically plays an antagonist. Pretty sure he was the main antagonist in the uh, in the Crow the original uh, oh i think you might be right with that yeah 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 mm-hmm. another great little bit part he did was the co- he was the cousin of the sheriff of nottingham in the prince of thieves the kevin costner batman yes. adaptation <laughs> of robin, hood. Yes. robin yeah, hood yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Nice. That'd be, kevin costner batman would be cool though <laughs> that would <be> i mean wow. <laughs> be, be, i would watch that um <laughs> oh, of course i would yeah. You know, Michael Wincott's great. He's a, a Jarmusch alum. He's in uh, numerous Jarmusch films. I, I, Stranger Than Paradise, one of Jarmusch's first films. I, I, that might be one uh, of that's the Michael Wincott's. Yeah. And and I think Michael Wincott might be in a band as well. I know John Lurie, who is also in Stranger Than Paradise, who's in a band, The Lounge Lizards. And I feel like Michael Wincott's also a musician.
0: Don't quote me on that, but. Yeah, they're... Um parents that really jumped out at me was Alfred Molina. Oh um, oh fuck. I forgot yes. Alfred Molina. Yeah. He's crazed, crazed religious traveling salesman dude. <laughs> like yeah.
2: a very Crazy. young a very young, less portly version of of Molina as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: He was very very yeah. Very, um, yeah. Not spelt exactly, but closer to uh... <laughs> Not quite Doc um, Ock shape. Yeah. No, not Doc Ock. Not Dad Bomb, Doc Ock. Yeah. And of course, Gary Farmer. He's kind of stole the show, I think, even from, oh, yeah. from Johnny Depp, to be yeah. quite honest. It's a great performance. And I think the movie is almost more about him than yeah. than Johnny Depp, you can argue. Yeah. yeah, he's he's great in this.
2: Depp is basically yeah. doing Jack White. I wonder if Jack White... It's kind of funny, too, that yeah. in Coffee and Cigarettes... Yes. ...the little <laughs> sequence with, uh, with Jack and, and Meg White. I also... Yep. I also got shades of um, just looks wise, uh, like Jim
0: carries a Riddler um, with the <laughs> suit and everything, and the, and the hair, <laughs> and also like a little bit of a foreshadowing of his um, of his Willy Wonka turn in the. Oh yeah. Just just, yeah. just like the facial expressions and and the hair really really prepares him yeah. too. That kind of bob haircut. Just better yeah. better performance here than than you. Well, did. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, for sure.
2: I was. Yeah. It, I was telling this to Nick when we watched, uh, we screened last night, and I thought Winnicott or Wincott looked like Vlad Tepish a lot. Yeah, you know, yes. that kind of yeah, iconic. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Because he's got that, I don't know, what is it like a Yushanka? It's not, I don't think it's exactly a Yushanka style hat. Yeah. Right. Kind of like a yeah, fur hat. yeah.
1: Made yeah. out of some kind of beaver or, yeah. Right. Some, some animal old,
2: pelt. Big old caterpillar mustache, kind of droopy. Yeah. It looks exactly yes. like that kind of typical I think there's it must be a painting of, of Tepesh. Yeah, it's it's like an actual portrait of him. It's it's kind of it's like a meme-ish kind of status,
0: yeah. I think. Yeah.
2: I wonder if that was if there was an intent behind that or if that was just, just I mean, a random I, like a I wouldn't stuff. doubt
1: it. I mean, there's so many other like cultural touchstones in this, yeah. you know. Uh Jarmusch is he's a smart guy and and his his movies are always rife with those kind of uh those callbacks and uh, homages so yeah, it's possible
2: yeah i think one of the big ones and along those lines would be william blake who happens to be one of my favorite not only of the british romantic poets but his paintings as well and i don't think a lot of people know that he also did these incredible paintings and really even his manuscripts he did these incredible Editions, uh, yeah ed- yeah exactly
0: yeah Print. he was mm-hmm. a printmaker as well
2: I mean, you see this yeah. referenced in one of the sequels to or prequels Red, rather in Red Dragon. Red Dragon, right? Um,
0: yes, the big, the big painting that so inspires uh, mur- murderous killer um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is is the Red Dragon portrait.
1: And yeah. the original he- adaptation of that Manhunter,
0: <laughs> excuse me, Nicholas. That's true. <laughs> Corrected, and also point of order: Philip Seymour Hoffman is is killed
2: by the Tooth Fairy, played up. by Fines Fines, Fines. Uh,
1: Rafe Fines. Fines. Fines, and uh, in the Manhunter one. It is the antagonist of RoboCop 2, Tom Noonan, Society? that's his name. That's yeah. okay. Tom, is no, that, Tom Noonan. Tom
2: Noonan, the guy that is in Heat and is like, you know, these signals are just, yeah. know, it's all just bouncing around.
1: Yep. Okay, well, nice. which makes sense, too, because Manhunter is a Michael Mann film.
2: Right. And right. actually, he, showed, he has a great little bit part in the first season of, of The Leftovers. Nick and I have been screening that as well. That's true. Nice. He pops up. That's true, yes.
1: He's great. Last time I saw him, he was actually in Louis C.K.'s show as a doctor who, in one of the, um, the flashback sequences, tells all the kids at Louis C.K.'s Catholic school the, um, the anatomical details of the crucifixion of Christ. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Damn, that's good. That sounds right up his alley.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the last time I saw him in anything.
2: He's, he's looking old. He's looking old. Problem. Happens to all of us. While we're on on this kind of preamble sort of stage, I, I thought it was crazy that the budget was only nine million for the film. Obviously actors are taking less to do these sort of cameo yeah. roles. You can tell like you know they're he's getting actors that have days available and you know, like trying to squeeze them in. But even so, like the extent of the initial like early on in the film, that little town set is just it's so expansive. it's a it's a huge set. like it's a whole main street basically. Mm-hmm. For a town. I mean, that's a sizable set. You've got a significant one, you know, yeah, the, exactly.
0: The Native American one that's kind of on the on the shores of the Pacific oh, Ocean. yeah. It's mm-hmm. deliberately mirrors the machine set. And those are just two of them. And there's I don't know, other things like the the trading post when they meet Alfred Molina. There's, yeah, there's right. a, num- a number of horses, and just
2: I guess training people give people horse riding lessons. Like that's that stuff adds up. The town of machine, I mean, not only the set is pretty elaborate and and substantial. But, and really, that at the end of the scene or the end of the film, rather, the um, sort of the the more Northwestern interpretation of or like stylings of Native American Mm -hmm. architecture, I thought that was really well done. But that set was also a huge set, like you said, but also the amount of extras in both Machine Mm -hmm. and that last little village, I guess you would say. I did think it was cool. I do remember, you know, vaguely um, elementary school learning about sort of the Native Americans of, of the Northwest, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest having those sort of lodge style homes and the dugout canoes and all of that, which was very cool. Obviously, the totem poles, et cetera, et cetera, and some of the totem architecture as well. Apparently that's included. that's um,
0: a village of the Meka tribe, the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest Coast. Um, usually in, in current day Washington.
1: Yeah, because I know they filmed there, a significant portion of the film. I I Really, honestly, I think the the last two-thirds of the film are are probably filmed there, if not all of it. I know they filmed in the southwest, uh, you know, Nevada and Arizona, but I I bet those are really just exterior shots. I I don't, uh, and some cutaway shots, I don't think they actually you Know traverse those landscapes, they, they're mostly in the Pacific Northwest when they're outside, which is based on kind of the foliage and and uh, the flora, the fauna, yeah, the landscapes.
2: I did notice several different types of forests,
1: mm-hmm. like,
2: like later on yep. in the film, it was like it was felt very much so, like the kind of redwood, yep. yeah, there's a yep. like, ton of redwood trees, sequoia over. type trees, yep. There's a lot of ferns, right? That's like very evocative of the Northwest. But prior to that, there were some like, and I don't know the species of tree, but it's like the white, they have the lighter. The birch trees, yeah.
0: The birch, birch trees,
1: trees. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Very, very visually distinct. And
0: um, towards the beginning, I guess we're going backwards. Um, <laughs> When he first gets to machine, it's, it's kind of more what you have in mind of a traditional spaghetti Western yeah. um, environment, like not desert, but dry and arid with like, right. scrubby vegetation and a few trees.
1: I do wonder if that's a soundstage. I wonder if that is it could, a, a it could pre-existing be a set.
2: Yeah, it's um, possible. I know that they did so in those early scenes in Machine. The stars, in particular, you can tell are not real stars. Mm-hmm. It's obviously right. Yes, on a soundstage, we was just like, what's what amount is a composite mm-hmm. image, and you know, obviously yeah. the, being ninety-five to you know what I, I could have seen them doing: building
0: the Maka village, shooting there, and then using that framework. Right. To to put like a facade of, yeah. oh, here's a saloon, here's a post sure, office right. over it. Because yeah. like it has the same structure. Yeah, it was like, a very like, like,
2: yeah, it was kind of like this main street style big yeah, right. like physical space. With people running mm-hmm. around back yeah. and then like a T intersection that he's walking right. through. It's- Before we get too deep in the whole mix of that, I don't know if either or both of you would give us perhaps like a little plot or story art synopsis to kind of orient us in terms of the overall narrative for the film. Lewis, I think you should do this one.
1: (laughs) Okay, I will. So it's kind of your classic man comes to town story. The man being Johnny Depp, aka William Blake who is traveling at first via railroad from Cleveland, Ohio, which mm-hmm. um, is, is important because that is that area is where Jarmusch is from, Cayuga Falls, Ohio. And um, part of uh, his film, Stranger Than Paradise, actually takes place in Cleveland as well, the last third of that film. Traveling via train to the town of Machine somewhere in the west, they say it's the end of the line. So you can imagine it's it's most like, well, of course, we think, and we know, um, they filmed in the Pacific Northwest, but diegetically, it doesn't really matter. It's just the end of the line. It's the West, it's the, the untamed, unclaimed West. He, he's going there because he, he received a letter from the Dickinson Machining um, metalworks, Works. Uh, Dickinson Metalworks. they want him to be their new accountant. Of course, when he gets there, he he's gotten there too late. He has lost the job of accountant. Um, and after a series of events in which he, he kills uh, Gabriel Gabriel Byrne, he is then wanted for that murder, and we find out that Gabriel Byrne is the, uh, is one of the Dickinsons of the Dickinsons metalwork. He is Dickinson Junior. <laughs> Dickinson,
0: Jr. Dickinson like A large. <laughs> uh, sign. And Robert
1: Mitchum is is Mister Dickinson, who uh, puts the hit out on him, or well, just the want the bounty, uh, <laughs> as they call it. Mister Dickinson, um, I presume. Yes, Mr. Dickens, I I presume. Uh, And then then it's just an adventure from there. I mean, we just, you know, we just get William Blake and Gary Farmer as the uh, Native American nobody, just traversing different landscapes, uh, meeting interesting characters, killing many of those interesting (laughs) characters, if not all of them, until Johnny Depp William Blake dies, because he's actually, he is shot. By Gabriel Byrne first, then he shoots and kills Gabriel Byrne. So he has a piece of, as Gary Farmer calls it, white man's metal in him that is in his heart. You know, yeah, in his mm-hmm. heart. It's slowly, slowly killing Very him. Very uh, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely more of a metaphor than it's a, and it's actually a, um, a know, something movie. literal. <laughs> yeah, it's not like Iron Man where you know <laughs> you can easily put some little doohickey around you and, and live forever.
0: In, invent a new element
2: to charge your Body cavity.
1: Right. Yeah. That doesn't happen
0: in this one.
2: Overall or general thoughts about the film, whoever wants to go uh,
0: first. Lewis is just talking for a lot, so I can go. Oh my God. <laughs>
2: no, give, this I, man. I'm,
0: giving, I'm giving you a You're a again. dead
2: man now. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say it. Call him a, what is it? Stupid white man? Stupid or? fucking white man. Stupid fucking record. white man. Yeah.
0: yeah. As
2: an Italian, yeah, I can you're Italian say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah, no, it's good. It operates on this dreamlike logic, he being William Blake floats from place to place and kind of encounters people either from his past or just random new people that still feel familiar in some weird way. And he encounters them usually fatally. They and the other things he does, like when he lies down next to a dead fawn that he finds, they're presented as like these kind of like nodes of of spiritual challenges he has to overcome. And he, he sometimes has help, but from nobody. Sometimes he's alone, but he it, it's the process of dying. It's this process of letting of letting go of life because even when he arrives in Machine, Crispin Glover lovingly describes it as like, welcome to hell. Yeah, um, yeah. And the whole yes. reason he left Cleveland late is because he's like, oh, I'm, I, my parents just died. Like they, they had their funeral. So it's like almost like he had to go join them in a sense. And the whole thing is nobody acting as a psychopomp, as a as a journey to the underworld for, for right. William Blake. Definitely. You know, he is his Virgil really? to his Dante. Yeah, definitely.
1: No, it's an, it's an incredible movie. Um, you know, Jonathan Rosenbaum, Nick and I, one of Nick and I's favorite film critics, who, the boy. who we like to quote very often on our own podcast, called it one of the most exciting and important new American movies of the 90s. And... I agree with him there. I can't imagine seeing this in 1995 at a festival or seeing it in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean just from the opening alone, you know, you just see Johnny Depp who we all know as this heartthrob, you know, from uh, 21 Jump Street, from Nightmare on Elm Street, from Cry Baby, from all these different films by now, he's 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 a huge star. He's he's in he's he would have been in Edward Scissorhands by right. now and just to see him as this total loser Uh, This (laughs) bespectacled loser in this, you know, this clown suit, this tartan clown suit. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he doesn't talk for the first five minutes. There's really no dialogue for the first five, maybe 10 minutes of this movie. It just goes between shots of him, shots of other people on the train, shots of the the machinery of the train, the wheels and such. And then, of course, Neil Young's score, just like this guitar, just, you know, these, um, like Nick said, most likely improvisational, just, you know, chords. I don't know. It's it's unlike a uh, a lot of other movies that would have been playing in theaters in 1995, that's for sure.
2: I don't know, I was very very divided in terms of my opinions on the film because I felt like there was a lot of setup and I think I think particularly maybe with the William Blake stuff that I was hoping would be kind of fleshed out or like more mm. directly integrated into the film, but it was such um It was very much a subdued. The energy of the film itself is very sedate and like meditative. Yes. Meditative. Dying, you might say. Right. Yeah. And so even though there were, you know, there were definitely moments where it was, there was kind of a a crescendo, you would say, of violence or whatever. But I don't know, it just is a movie that you could, I don't know, just sort of keeps this kind of like even pacing. It's like the slow methodical pace throughout the film even with these kind of abrupt, you know, deaths or these, uh, these sort of standoff moments. Right. So I sort of appreciated like Lewis mentioned, I think the film went like five minutes before any dialogue is actually spoken, which is, which is always a nice little treat, <laughs> especially the way yeah. that films are made. Now, the average <laughs> film that's made right. now is you're immediately, it's all, you know, so chaotic. And so I like that you can like this ability to take a moment, to kind of let the film breathe and, ease you into things but yeah overall i was kind of divided in terms of i wanted kind of like a little bit more oomph a little bit more libidinal mm. like a little bit more payoff That's i right. think yeah in terms of what Jarmish was kind of setting up with blake and sort of this whole and i feel like there were i kept asking nick you know while we're screening the movie is like hey what's this there's like these greek myths that were kind of popping in my head frequently one being persephone, persephone i think
1: yeah oh sure sure
2: I think some of the others were, and this is just kind of like a wild comparison or like metaphor would be Mm. the three kind of bounty hunters that are hired to track down the the Furies or something. Yeah. Or like, I was like, is this kind of the three headed dog Cerebus? I mean, and like the river, like like the river at at the end, the river sticks they're talking about. That was something that was, those were kind of creeping up in my head too in which even William Blake does have this very elaborate mythology in his yep. work as well. Definitely. But even in looking at, for example, I remember the, I, she was like the saloon girl fell. Fell. Okay. Sure. Sure. So he does touch on, I mean, there is a, there's a poem by Blake, the book of fell, right. Which I read, I took a look at just to kind of see, well, okay, what, what can we kind of mine from this for, you know, fodder for discussion. And, I really couldn't quite connect the dots.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, is there anything? No, nothing? <laughs>
2: I, I mean, I, you know, I didn't give it a deep, deep reading and I have quite sure. a of time, but just on a on a pretty casual reading, I didn't really notice anything, but it was definitely the first thing when she was, my name's Thel. I was, wait, there's, a, there's definitely a Blake poem about Thel. This is definitely Blakean mythology. For what it's worth, I mean,
0: the Wikipedia analysis just says it's just an illusion. It doesn't really comment any further on... Um... Right, specifically about yeah. the Book of Thel. I've never read much William Blake, but um, I mean the no, nobody quotes him pretty heavily. Yeah. in the middle, mm-hmm. um, and, and part of nobody's backstory is that when he was taken to to Europe, he was kind of put through forced European style schooling, um, and, and that's how he beca- he discovered and became enamored with with William Blake. I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be much stronger than that. It it, it almost feels like the name is. Built up to be more than it really is, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, I don't think. Oh, it's, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily bad, right? I, I not on its face, not a, not by itself. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I just don't think. I think the strongest thing there is that it establishes that link between nobody and 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 Johnny yeah, Depp. Okay.
1: Mm, definitely, yeah. And I think a lot of this this film uh, works. On that level, you were saying, Coop, you know, you're like, oh, um, th- this reminds me of this Greek mythology. I think that's kind of how this this film works is not exactly a blank canvas, because obviously yeah. it's a very full canvas of characters and actors and, and visuals and vistas and such. But, you know, you can you can um, project certain meaning onto things in a way that. I think really works in, in this film that doesn't work in a lot of his other films. Um, just by that more um impressionistic, you know,
0: style in, in this one. It reminds me of the connection between Ulysses and the Odysseus myth, because that I, I haven't finished it yet. I will <laughs> I will finish it one of these days. I will get through it. Everyone knows that Ulysses is based on Odysseus and Stephen Bloom is Odysseus. Molly Bloom is what's it, Penelope, and uh Stephen Dedalus is is Telemachus. but like that's only the the barest connection there, deliberately right. bare, deliberately very sparse connection. There, there's so much more to that book. There's so much more content-wise on a moment-to-moment basis as you're reading it than just like being a one-to-one, one-to-one right. retelling of the Odyssey. It's more of an illusion, than, right? Like,
2: yeah, kind of a mood. The same setting. structure helps with the mood, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah. This, this is a vibes movie. Sure. It's, I was going to say, it's this is a big
1: mood
2: movie big big for movie. sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: and the big mood is death. And what's more universal than that? Very true.
2: Very true. It's um, funny that you bring up Ulysses too, because we having just finished a whole—you know—I did like seven episodes on uh, Leotard's Libidinal Economy. Mm. He finishes the book with this yes, 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 yep, nice exclamation mm. of of Molly Bloom nice. as this is like the orgasmic moment at the end of yep. Libidinal Economy. Yeah, no, that, that, that's kind of funny, especially like in the context of this. movie, I felt like I needed a little bit more a bit more satisfaction, a bit more jouissance in some of the, in the payoff mm. moments. Yeah. Because I feel like, yeah, it, it is a very, like, no wonder why I fell asleep during the first screening of this movie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Even with kind of these uh, bombastic moments, relatively speaking, you know, the- they're Very understated, for sure. It's, totally yeah, enough. it's just such a very methodical and like, mm-hmm. slow-paced film. I would have liked a little bit more, just give, give me like, a, just a tiny bit more red meat, a tiny bit more payoff. And I think, this movie takes a jump into something like more extraordinary, I think.
0: I can see it. I, I think it, Um, even in moments of like Lentz Henriksen's uh, Bounty Hunter, I forget his particular name. Cole something. Cole something. Cole he, Wilson. Cole Wilson. He, he's the most vicious, he's a cannibal. He, he's, he's Even the other bounty hunters are, are wary of him justifiably because he kills both of them. In those reveals of like him killing people, I could see how a different directing approach would make it more, um, not more of a jump scare, but more of,
2: an outright visceral, creepy killing, right? Like, like, yeah, this was almost comedic. It was very, kind of walking that thread of yeah, tightrope. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Especially the reveal, like when he kills the second guy, the talkative guy, and then just smash yeah. cut to him. Yeah, eating, that eating was his great. That was so good. <laughs> but but I'm saying like that those little things that would be played off as like a big shocking reveal. Yeah, yeah. In the hands of another director, but it's just like just so eating this guy's forearm, and it's it's like this really more dread than like the the jump scare. I guess in this extended
2: analogy of how, how you could depict that thing if I made this movie it'd be I would like to take this movie and just do something more a little just turn up the intensity in certain moments sure here and there and like deliver just a, a bit more payoff a bit more connect more connective tissue to the Blake theology sort of vibe mm-hmm. and just a little bit more concreteness there I think would have taken this on the next level in terms of I do appreciation. I do, but... I do
0: like how William Blake is totally ignorant of his namesake, and it's, it's yeah, it's nobody. That yeah, that's it, great. <laughs> Nobody's the William Blake fanboy, and he just he tries he he tells tells him these things, and it a lot of it passes over William William Blake Johnny Depp's head.
1: <laughs> I will say, I think I'm not sure if you had said before this, we were talking about the film Ghost Dog. I'm not sure if you've seen it. I know Nick hasn't seen, seen it. it. You haven't seen it either. Okay, so I, I think. I think you'll really, you'll like Ghost Dog because there's more of that that payoff throughout, um, and there are those those ratcheted up moments in Ghost Dog. Very much a companion piece to this one, very similar. You know, a, a, a character who um, has some connection outside of his own being. And with that one, he plays uh, what's his name? Forest Whitaker. Forest Whitaker plays a hitman who reads from the Hagakure and Uh, sees himself as (laughs) a a a, fellow
2: traveler
0: (laughs) yes
1: yeah he sees himself as a samurai hitman in you
0: know
1: 2000s america and uh yeah there's more connection there with that than there is with williams blake's actual poetry or or oeuvre in this film but it's uh, very similar in in its kind of impressionism
0: i don't know if this is a little too too much of a reach but i almost view the violence in some some of the spectacle like like that scene of the Coop was saying earlier, like the the sky, it very clearly composited um, a backdrop, and almost had this Brechtian quality of in the fact that it was shot in black black and white, right, in monochrome. It's like this is this is mimicking the old timey westerns you remember your grandfather watching, but it's the only thing that's different is like the the spiritual approach it takes to the to the content and the form, I guess. The violence is. I don't want to say cheap or bad looking but it's deliberately done in a very kind of lo-fi manner like like in the way that it's a little bit slapstick it, it is a little bit yeah. Like, yeah yeah for sure and i but i think that's deliberate yeah. i think it's like mm-hmm. building up this um this sentiment that like you're watching the the westerns that would be on tv in the background at like two in the morning it just has an updated spirituality
1: they put a lot of money into the guy's head being crushed. I feel like, and then yeah, that was a- not any of the other violence
2: in the whole film. <laughs> That's the most expensive effect. <laughs> there was that moment too, where they have the shooting star, kind of this very yeah. cliche. That's exactly what I
0: mean. Like it's it's yeah. the, it's it's indulging in that. This is what you expect from this genre. Yeah, and we're just going to give it to you as is because we're focusing more on other stuff.
2: Which is kind of funny because it it kind of recalls another film that I kind of pitched to you both as one we could possibly do a discussion on would be um hail caesar yeah and i think the the aaron Wright character in the film plays kind of this what he's kind of like one of those actors that would have been in sort of a cliche Mm -hmm. western film
1: you know like a roy rogers type or something like that yeah exactly is that one Mm mm-hmm yep Yeah. And I think, I think Cole Wilson is dressed like one of those types of cowboys. Yeah. Honestly. Yes. Um, he has that kind of look to him, uh, not only kind of more of a almost civil war, you know, Captain look, I but also so you. yeah, I, 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 the, the way his his hat is, and, and you know the way it has it's the like drawing like and everything. Yeah, he looks like a singing cowboy, and that's great that he's the most violent psychopath of all of them. Okay, um, so
0: so bear with me. Is is the fact that he he murders um, the the young up and coming black bounty hunter and like the the wild man kind of more like working class bounty hunter? The fact that like this new Hollywood face consu- kills and consumes them. And, and, and like erasing them is is that too much of a reach?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think it's more of a. You mean an old Hollywood?
0: Oh, you, new, new kills Hollywood. them. I mean, New Hollywood, contemporaneous of the actual like late eighteen hundreds and early 19, early nineteen hundreds. But yeah, sure, from, sure, from sure. our standpoint, old Hollywood. Yeah,
1: I don't think it's too much of a reach, but I think it's yeah, it's old Hollywood killing a killing a New actual, Hollywood, right? Well, like. Well,
0: Old old Hollywood. Hollywood? I was thinking old Hollywood, like killing and consuming the actual people who who did live in the West. These the identities of
1: that's also interesting. Yes, I think that's actually interesting.
0: Yeah, because you have a young black guy who never got to fulfill his potential, and then you have this more salt of the earth, blue collar, edge of edge of society proletariat character. Right,
1: right, an actual trapper, an actual. Yeah, Hunter. And I call black black cowboy because most of the And of right, most cowboys black black. were either black or Latino, of course. Yeah, I like that. I like, that's good. That's a good interpretation.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I know I'm, I'm just I'm just happy it's not too like ha- like I that's the, the thing with the film. I think you could really just say whatever. It's it,
1: it has that quality to yeah. it, and I'm not saying that as as a um, as anything derogatory. It's just you know you can read a lot into this film, and uh, De-
0: there definitely is the no skeleton key. Plot. It's just whatever. Yeah, definitely not plot driven. Like no, the, the plot plot secondary, which is which is ju- good s- suitable. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I was fine with with that element. You know, I think I don't think plot always is. Is the thing. Speaking of Cole though, directly, what is the style of his hat? Definitely recalled for me F Troop, the old sort of cowboy. It's like a comedic kind of cowboy show. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the many cowboy shows of the 50s and 60s. It aired in the
2: late 60s and it was sort of this comedy. And I forget the character that had, that wore, you know, they had their brim sort of bent up. Yeah. There was a, Mm -hmm. a couple of them. Yeah, but that—that's what it was sort of very rem- reminiscent of for me, or like that's kind of yeah. really immediately where my mind went.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if that's where you know Jarmusch took it from. It—it yeah. it, it makes sense given his age. You know, he's uh probably I'd say an older boomer. Let's see, when is he born? Yeah, he's probably he's in Gen his
2: seventies, right? Oh, be. he's
1: fifty-three. I mean, oh, he's damn. older than wow. my parents. Yeah, I mean, he's sixty-eight years old. Oh, he's 60- so he's a he's a he, boomer. He, he was born he's in fifty-three. Right. Yeah, he's 68. born in 53. Okay, yeah. yeah, he's so this, you know, this is a. Thought. It's crazy though that this guy's this cool, like <laughs> yeah. given that he's a boomer, except his new movie is fucking terrible. The, the what is it called? Adam Driver one. Yeah, The Dead Don't Die. Awful. It was actually the first movie I watched this year. Awful damn awful it's on hbo oh, no. max don't watch it it's so bad
0: did you also not like his vampire movie or i, I haven't seen that, that one i have, that's like
1: one of the few i haven't seen because okay. i think it perhaps is the only film of his i haven't seen oh i haven't seen his documentaries like he has i think maybe two neil young documentaries you know just concert docs i haven't gotcha. seen those but gotcha. yeah the dead don't die not <laughs> as good lines- as dead man <laughs>
2: <laughs> along those lines it's kind of funny i think watari like Felix Guattari was the same age as my grandfather, more or less, like I think born in the same year or like maybe a year after. And like seeing that, I'm I'm like thinking, contextualizing it in that sense. It was, wow. Yeah. (laughs) What could be more opposite than these two people? That's so so wild. Like I always think of him as this more like younger kind of person. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of an interesting aside. Back to the film, one mood wise, this reminded me a lot of the Coen's Buster Scruggs. I can see that, especially um, the way
0: all the shorts in that are, are kind of cut or uh, kind of presented very differently. They have different moods, but like some of them... The uh, subject matter, too, is largely death, right? Yeah, the, the subject matter is is a process of dying. The way kind of my my more favorite shorts in that deal with the conceit of, like you're watching a movie, you're watching a postmodern revisionist Western, but we're, we're still going to use the language, the, tropes, yeah. the language and the tropes of... Um, of this genre with those tropes yeah yeah like, like when buster scruggs himself spoiler alert in, in his short when he dies and he, he's flying up to heaven it looks very cheesy and like very tongue-in-cheek but it's like yeah we we know this is tongue-in-cheek yeah we know you know it's tongue-in-cheek but we're right. just we're just gonna run with it and and he he just he, he's strumming on the harp and he has a halo and wings and he's flying up to heaven <laughs> um, it's great louis yeah. have you seen
1: buster i have I not i have to admit i have to admit, I have not seen buster scruggs yeah, i
0: think you would like it um
1: yeah no, I, d- I do want to see it. All I know of it is isn't that where the meme comes from with first James time. Franco? Yes. Yeah, first time. Yeah. Uh, Tom Tom <laughs> oh, Wait Tom Waits has a cool little short. He he's the subject. Oh, nice. Things. Yeah, another Jim Jarmers album. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's also in the dead. Don't die. Uh, mm-hmm. He's gonna like, eat. What? He got to eat. I guess he hasn't done an album in a while, so we're waiting.
0: One might
2: say. Hail Caesar also played with that kind of. Old school Hollywood technique yeah, too, and a lot of it definitely. Uh, which I'm definitely. sure they picked up on. I mean, you know, the Coens are huge. Golden age of Hollywood yeah. era stuff. Yeah, and they like love that shit. So Hudsucker proxy.
1: I mean, is just a big send up to that that whole era of filmmaking.
2: I mean, the whole um, Busby Berkeley stuff that they even yes. goes back to uh, mm-hmm. Big Lebowski.
1: Big Lebowski. Yep, the dream sequence there. Yep. Barton Fink.
0: One of my favorite calling, right? Um, of
1: course, how could you forget? I mean, yeah, the great part of
0: fink it's about like the travails of working in this in this industry, but still still having kind of a weird faith in it, and um, yeah, even, even as it takes everything away from you,
1: yeah. Um, I wonder if Jarmish and the Coens are friends, I don't know, <laughs> I feel like they wouldn't be, I just feel like that wouldn't you feel like they, they wouldn't they mesh were. well. No, <laughs> I just don't think so. I can see that, I, yeah, it's just different, they're different vibes, like the Coens have like this weird like intellectual vibe whereas Jarmusch is more of just like that uh yeah you know like that no wave kind of like a bassist yeah you know just yeah I I don't know what he is in his band he's in a band I don't know what he is I'm not sure if he's the singer if he's the bassist but uh yeah different different vibes entirely and he's like he's hipper than them too, right? You sure, know, like he, yes. he knows who Wu Tang Clan is, whereas I'm right. not sure the brothers know who Wu is. <laughs> Are you a Bug Bill
2: Murray? That's my favorite. Are you a Bug Bill Murray? He's a keyboardist. That's,
1: that's
0: right. Uh, he's a keyboardist. And he's one of he does some vocals too. Yeah, he's he's an
1: interesting character. I I, I um I wish he would make better films in his
0: uh, later years. But
1: I although I did like Patterson, the the Adam Driver bus movie.
0: That was good worth watching. Yeah, Cooper <laughs> are earlier. He kind of looks like the bug bug twins, those um, those French former heartthrob actor twins who got like a lot of filler and and they just have like kind of distended bloated facial features. Yeah, they've got like they're like a meme
2: meme twin. They have like fillers in their you know, lips and their and shit. I was watching a Charlie up. I was watching a Charlie Rose interview about this exact movie. And Jarmusch has, yes. he's got the full lips. It's almost, he has. He has oh, yes, those guys. Yeah, okay, those guys. yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has uh, some very similar hair. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the hair, the kind
1: of general facial shape, the, shape. Yeah, maybe, yeah, the, like, the cheekbones, yeah. Jarmish has, he
0: has a very striking uh, appearance. In to general, be clear, he, he looks a lot better and more human than these people. Oh, yes, <laughs> right. yes, yes, yes. Just, just kind of, get a, they're the caricature
2: version of him. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Very true. Yeah. But the film. Uh... Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry, per- I perfor- performance-wise, I mean, we mentioned Gary Farmer as nobody kind of, for me, stole the whole show. Like, he was, sure. if we're nominating Best Supporting or Actor, like, I think he's yeah, yeah. a very strong contender.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, nobody's performance really struck
2: me as, n- nothing stood out to me. Yeah, and nothing was, was kind bad. of like braver, uh, if you will. I mean, yeah. but Win- Wincott was great, I thought. hmm he had, I mean, of course, he had a ton of dialogue for one, but I thought he was—he mm-hmm. provided a lot of good comic relief, but also intensity, and he was, yeah, just a very enjoyable character to. He was annoying to the other characters, right? Not, not to us, right? Yes. It's entertaining to yeah. see him be annoying. Exactly.
0: He's
1: no, he's great. I love him in anything he shows up in. And he also, he looks different in every single movie he's in. He never looks the same. You kind of like, you recognize it's him, right. but it's like, wait, what is it? Is that Michael Wincott? Is it not? Like I remember seeing him in Sh- uh, Strange Days, the um, wow. the Y2K movie by, uh, what's her name, by Catherine Bigelow. And I was like, wait, is that the guy from Stranger in the Paradise? Is that the same dude he is he is?
2: He's, he's got a great voice. Like he's got that gravelly yes. deep register. That's just fantastic. He should do audio books. Oh, yeah. He would be great at audiobooks. I don't know. Those two sort of, I think, were the, And Thel as well. Like, she was very, in the limited time we have her, she just has this kind of enchanting mystery about her that I thought was great. Other than that, I, you know, it was, no no one really stood out performance-wise. I liked the Iggy Pop performance when he
0: was kind of this cross-dressing um, <laughs> cowpoke, I guess, cook. Um,
2: I mean, another man with a very distinct haunting yeah. vo- voice <laughs> that i was just actually talking to nick about days yes. before we even decided about this I was like yeah you gotta hear Bob.
0: um he he cooks beans for billy bob thornton as, yeah. as another mountain trapper which is pretty great and billy yeah. bob is totally beans unrecognizable. i didn't recognize. you had to point him he out. he was completely
2: uh, unrecognizable but i could tell like his his distinct voice you yeah. could just recognize yeah. that oh, oh,
1: yeah.
0: a lot of the
2: cool guys of
0: hollywood i think
1: yeah uh, big george in this film another uh yeah. trapper-esque character with all this kind of animal skin on him yeah
2: it, it was very funny because it reminded me of so iggy pop has a cameo as well in deep Space nine and you hear his distinct voice and i was like <laughs> Wait, i fucking know this voice is yeah. doing, right? that's fucking iggy pop yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> incredible yeah
1: you know and i was misspeaking so uh, Michael Wincott is not in Stranger Than Paradise. He is another guy who looks very similar. Who's in a few Jarmish films called Richard Edson. They have very similar voices and similar faces. But uh, yeah, it's they're just and that's and again, like Michael Wincott, just he looks oh, yeah, like pe- okay. he looks like people, and you're like, oh, maybe that's him. Maybe it's not him. Gotcha. Like if you yeah. look at the picture of Michael Wincott on IMDb, you're just like, nope, I don't know who that person is. Right. No idea.
2: Yeah, I can totally see where you're going with the Edson. Yeah, that's funny.
1: Yeah, the nose. They're very similar nose. Yes, they have.
2: Yeah, their faces are quite similar for sure. Yeah. Of course, Edson, oh, I think. Edson, is of course, more in uh,
0: Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> okay.
2: Wait, who is he in Mario? He's one of the Koopas.
0: Oh, yes. Amazing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think typically Edson, though, is in more comedic, even though I think he yes. does have some mm. more intense, often he's a comedic. Like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, he's one of the yep. the shop the the auto shop guys that take the right. car the, the roadster out for like a free yes, day yes. yeah, in Chicago. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, other other acting kind of oh, um, discussion wise, uh, John Hurt. John Hurt is great. John Hurt, yeah, completely oily, servile little
1: right lickspittle. Yes. I saw online that Steve Buscemi's in this movie, and I was like, that's not true. And then I was really looking out for him. He is. He's the bartender who takes away the larger bottle of whiskey and gives him the smaller bottle of whiskey in the beginning of the film. Hell yeah. I do
2: recall the moment, but I don't recall Buscemi. Holy shit. Uncredited.
0: Um, And he has a lot of facial hair. I was going to say, I was looking at the bartender, like not for any reason, but I distinctly remember looking like, is that anybody? But like, yeah, that's wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and just a that's great, great little that's performance good. there. No dialogue, yeah, just, no, just... Uh, behaviors. Uh, <laughs> he steals the, takes it back and gives him this little tiny bottle of whiskey.
2: That's great. That's, that's really funny. Okay, yeah, you can kind of, okay, so he's got a big mustache. A giant mustache. Giant yeah. mustache, okay.
1: And uh, if you look that's at that fun. clip there where he's, uh, that shot there where he's wearing a Make America Great Again hat, uh, that's because he plays a, a MAGA guy in The Dead Don't Die, Jim Jarmusch's uh, most ah. recent film, made in 2019, and he gets eaten by zombies. So, real, real lazy shit. That's... Real lazy shit.
0: Oh, yeah. Great I, I kind of want to see this now,
1: actually. No, I don't. It's okay. really not worth it.
0: I trust you. Any
2: other acting or performance
1: Jared Harris is the British guy with yes. B- Billy Bob and Iggy Pop. He's well known for uh, Chernobyl. Okay.
2: Oh. okay. is he the the lead in Chernobyl? Yeah, he's the okay. lead in Chernobyl,
1: and he's also I'm, in. Uh, I recognize his voice for sure. Yeah, I couldn't. He's also in the say. Terror. If you, if either of you've seen that show, the amc show I am that's not, it.
0: but that's one you've recommended to me and i'm yeah I'm, I'm it's an
1: anthology AMC. show now but the first season is about the ships crossing like through antarctica and things happen but he's yeah he's one of the main captains in that one he's great he's a great actor and it's so funny to see him here he's so young and yeah. again unrecognizable
2: absolutely that voice though stood out. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I know this. I know this voice for sure. Crispin
0: Glover's
1: wearing blackface. No, I'm
0: kidding. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that when I saw. It. <laughs> oh shit. That he's a, the delightful, conductor. Delightfully creepy crank train guy, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I know, but like,
1: I love that he's like the conductor throwing coal in there, and then he just like walks away from it. He just walks yeah. away from the engine of the train. <laughs> it's no, no, down that's as a conversation,
0: <laughs> and that establishes the the tone so well. It's like. Mm-hmm. Nothing we're going to show you is impossible. It couldn't like ever not happen. It doesn't rise to the. It doesn't come to the level of cartoon cowboy perfect aim violence, but like it's just stuff that's unsettling that you wouldn't really see happen in real life, no matter how plausible it is.
1: Yeah. And like unremarked upon, right? Like, you know, Johnny Depp's character doesn't say something like, shouldn't you be driving the train? It's just "Ah, the guy who's driving
0: the train just walks away from it. (laughs) I love when they start shooting the Buffalo and it's just so blasé about everything.
1: Yeah. You know, see them die. It's just these dudes just popping off shots, and then the best part about that is too is like they're not even going to go pick up those pil- pelts, right? They're just well, on a moving
0: train. Well, that's historically accurate. They the, sure the United no, States government for sure. wanted to wanted to decimate populations of right. buffalo, right? Um, and I think they had like, like yeah, they, they mentioned like, this in the film. Yeah, they would even have like, oh, you can get fifteen dollars a head or right. something just for every yeah. confirmed kill.
1: That, and it's just perfectly placed in that film, it, it does set the tone for the rest of it where it's just like unremarked upon violence that really is mostly off screen there, right? Yeah. We're not seeing, yeah. you know, Buffalo being downed.
0: And we get the sense that William Blake is, kind of death follows him, death is shadowing him even before yeah. he gets shot and starts the process of dying. Cause like I said, he, he's leaving Cleveland after his both his parents are dead. Right. Um, he had a fiance, but like, I guess the relationship kind of just nothing happened. The, the buffalo are dying. He gets the he gets the prostitute woman killed, right? Um, and, then he, and then he he kills Gabriel uh, Byrne D- Dickinson
1: Jr. Dickinson Jr. And then every time he looks out the window, you know, there's some kind of either like a derelict TP or right. a, or you know an abandoned covered wagon, yeah. covered wagon. There's always some like something dead some somewhere on the horizon.
2: Right. Yeah, which he's he definitely takes. There's a moment where he like reflects on very like. I don't know, there's a sense of fear, apprehension when he sees those, the teepees in particular Mm -hmm. that are Mm -hmm. derelict, like you said. So the interaction with the train passengers, it's very interesting because they're always sort of, they're looking at him and there's all these looks that are being given to Blake. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, well, what are they on a train to, is this like some sort of train to hell or what's the metaphor here? Or what are they, are they looking at him because they realize that he is, his past or he's the dead man or like some
0: something like that. I mean, um mm. it mirrored the end of the movie structurally, like the when the when he's in the Maka village and he's tied up and all the Maka people are just looking at him. Yeah. Um and he's kind mm, of staring in. Uh, right. Again, when he enters Machine, when he enters Maka, has this like it's shot very similarly, just walking down the main avenue. So the yeah. beginning and the end feel very similar to me. It's it's like dying, dying metaphorically first and then dying literally.
1: And like, everybody has that kind of, they have a very knowing look. They're, they're in on something yeah. and he's not, you know. Even there's that one couple, one of the last cutaway shots, two people actually on the train, like there's a man and a woman and she looks over at Johnny Depp and she nods and like her and the man next to her kind of like laugh and smile and look at him. And it's, they, there's a joke where they're in on something and they know that he doesn't. And that is, you know, that he's dead.
0: Uh, this might be another potential reach. He's shown reading this magazine or like this old-timey coupon book. It's all about like the the wonderful world of bees, like bees. Yes. Be- the things. bee journal yeah, is what it's called. <laughs> and just like the idea of like a bee as a symbol of rebirth, of mm. springtime, the springtime motif, working industriously and le- leaving something behind you for like honey or his accounting work or anything and then um, yeah, s- signifying some kind of rebirth as as leaving the death of winter.
1: I like that. I also like that the the only text you can make out inside is it says Italian bees, yeah. <laughs> exclamation point.
2: <laughs> yes, no, that's... Little mustaches. <laughs> mustaches on bees. <laughs> Very nice. I thought Machine, that was just a great choice for the name of the town. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's where this podcast is uh, yeah, exactly. recorded. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Welcome, my son, to the Machine sort of recalling the, mm. the Pink Floyd track. Oh yeah welcome to the machine. That's totally a journey right I
0: bet it. yeah uh, like kind of late like just referenced kept from out of the blue that he would throw in there. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Uh, I like the set of the of the machine shop itself like just giant wheels and pulleys and gears going and seemingly doing nothing just like making making, yeah. making noise and commotion for, the, for its own sake.
1: Yeah, I wanna I wanna know what metals they make. I mean, there's the, the one shot where we see some of the like corrugated yeah. metal roofing you know, panels. And it's like, I guess they make that. Who knows? Yeah. It's,
0: um, it's, it's, it's a widget factory. It's just yeah. industriousness for its own sake. It's a great set. And
1: again, I don't, I don't understand like how it exists, you know, is it like, <laughs> okay. is that a constructed set? Is that something that is that a machine old machine shop that they, you know, got right. some bips and bobs to, you know, kind <laughs> of work. And, and I, I don't, I don't get it. It's great though. It's an incredible
2: set. I thought it was great whenever he does encounter Phil and, they're in bed together and he yes. he's like is find something like that is uncomfortable and he like pulls out a like revolver and he's yeah. like why do you have a gun and she says this is america yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um i i like that
0: Thel makes her um flowers out of paper because there, there's kind of like a, a low-key symbolism of paper he has the, the letter and then Kristen, Kristen goes, Crispin Glover is like, I wouldn't trust any words on no paper. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and then later, the comparison summary to William Blake, and um, nobody says to him, that weapon will, will replace your tongue, the, the pistol in question that he got from Thel's book. Mm-hmm. You will learn to speak with it. Your poetry will be written in blood instead of ink. Right. That, when Thel's killed, her blood and some of... Blake's blood splatter all over her her paper flowers. Ah. Yep. just like her her aesthetic, I guess her craft is passed on to him, and he, he picks up some of it because their 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 blood mingles together, like when mm. the same bullet penetrates both of them.
2: I like that, and I think There's, they're both wounded in the through the heart. I think yeah, she was as well. Yeah, she jumps
0: yeah. in
1: front of him. It and, goes you know. yeah straight through her clean clean through, and, and, and yeah. Goes through his chest cavity. I also thought it was interesting. Now that you mentioned paper, when there's the two bald marshals, and like the the one bald yes. marshal is oh, if uh, Dickinson loves that pinto so much in the the horse, he should have described it in the the telegram. And the other marshal's like, well, he did describe it in the telegram. Mm-hmm. He's no, no, he didn't. And then he's like, oh, you know, maybe I'm thinking about the wanted poster. It's such a weird line of dialogue. It's so weird that they'd even point that out, or you know, at all focus on that. But paper again and not trusting words on paper and the the wanted posters we keep seeing and yeah yeah, i don't know i don't know what any of that means but i just thought that was interesting now that Um, you said it
0: nobody we get some flashbacks to to nobody's youth when he's in europe and he's being forcibly schooled he's looking through i mean obviously books are made of paper but like he sees william blake's poetry like we get some shots of of the little kid looking little kid nobody looking through the paper Mm of the of the william blake books right the
1: only time we see one of William Blake's like sketches too, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm glad wasn't too much showing that, but like, they, yeah, they could have they could have done a little bit more. I mean, Blake himself is wearing one of the paper flower paper flowers later on when he
2: has an encounter with Iggy Pop. Oh um,
1: right, mm-hmm.
2: So So it's paper. I mentioned this a bit ago, but there is a William Blake poem, "The Book of Phil," which yes, I assume yes. is the reference for the for character, the character of Thel. at at minimum, and. I did read it, but I couldn't quite craft a a really elaborate connection or anything beyond just the name itself. Is it about paper or flowers? <laughs> well, William
0: Blake has a lot of flower imagery in his in his stuff. Um, also, just you know, contrasting dangerous dangerousness and or danger and innocence. Mm. I thought like w- William Blake lying down next to the dead fawn, and kind of having um a l- experiencing a little bit of ego death or something was very. Very, very Blake imagery. That poem, The The Little Lamb, even though it's like really sweet, it's often coupled with the tiger kind of dangerousness and innocence, I guess.
2: Do we make anything of, there's a repeated motif or like refrain of tobacco, of characters asking Blake for tobacco, which includes Thel, includes nobody. There's multiple times. Most, everyone. This uh, is brought up, yeah. Iggy Pop gang.
1: Yep, they all ask him about tobacco. I'm going to say that this film was sponsored by some kind of anti-tobacco group, <laughs> and tobacco is to be connected with death
0: in this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, tobacco it, it does kill you over over time.
1: Wow, we are also sponsored by anti <laughs> yes. uh, anti smoking uh, funders, apparently.
0: It's always brought up in the context of of, a, of like a fungible uh, commodity to be to be traded. Just either, either given to someone as like a sign, of, sure it's a thing to do. It's you're traveling with someone, or it's brought up um, as as something to be traded to get, or something to be used as the currency of trade. Like I said, ultimately it, it's also harmful to health. I don't know if that's like commentary, and don't be don't be too preoccupied with material gain or or material gain for its own sake, because it does kill you. Yeah, to reiterate, folks. Smoking kills. <laughs> well, I'm saying it kills like currency, <laughs> not like up and up
2: capitalism, but like being concerned yeah. with material gain yeah. is is hazardous. I thought it was interesting too that nobody, his actual name, he goes by nobody because he doesn't like his actual name, which is... Excebuche? Yeah, which is he who talks loudly saying nothing. Yeah, and amazing. What, what that immediately recalled for me was the sound and fury, Faulkner, and also shakespeare life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing oh
0: damn
1: what's yeah. a nice
2: little reference there that's good. for him that's
1: very good yeah that that feels very deliberate yeah that's yeah, great certainly and also isn't
0: no i'm thinking of as i lay dying because that's a told from the point, that is, of point of view of a dead character that's also that Faulkner, times, yeah yeah, right it's it narrate the corpse narrates a little bit right? right also i mean when william blake is calling out for nobody that's Talk about the Odyssey. Uh, that that's an illusion there, of polyphemous calling for nobody. Damn, <laughs> there's so much. There is. There's a lot of. Um, I was I was looking at some of the the like the origins behind the names of like the minor characters that we don't really learn their names. Like, like like the Iggy Pop and Billy Bob Thornton. They have like some of them are named for musicians. Some of them are named for like producers. They just either combinations of of real life people's names or just straight sure up, straight up borrowing. Yeah like, yeah names.
1: Oh, yeah, the two marshals. One's name is Marvin, one. one's name is Lee, the actor yeah, Lee, Lee Marvin. Marvin yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who uh, Jarmusch and a few other people, I believe Tom Waits is one of them, they're in a, a very informal club called the Sons of Lee Marvin because <laughs> they all think they look like Lee Marvin. They have a story where, like, some guy came over to them and was, What's this Sons of Lee Marvin thing about? They're like, Oh, it's just this fun thing. We think we look like Lee Marvin. And the guy's like, Well, I'm actually Lee Marvin's son, so stop with this fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have heard this elsewhere. I don't even remember the context, but yeah, I've definitely heard about that. It's that level of attention that
0: Jarmusch puts into these two random marshals that we never learn their names, but he he gives them like a little jokey name like that. That makes me feel more confident in kind of my more, my more galaxy-brained reads that I'm doing here.
1: Oh yeah. I I think you should feel secure in those reads of this (laughs) film. (laughs) The
0: more galaxy-brained the better.
1: yeah, exactly. And same thing when we do Ghost Dog in two days. Uh, no, I'm yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Like I said, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier when, when we were talking about the no- notable people in the movie, but the soundtrack feels, it, it's kind of hacky bit to say like, oh, the soundtrack feels like its own character in the movie, but like it's so present. Just the the spontaneous riffs and sw- like little swells of, of strums and everything that, that Young puts in here. It was, after i was done watching the movie i was just watching a couple episodes of king of the hill and I, like the way that they do transitions in yeah that, in that, that show true. Every, every scene transition there's like a little guitar riff it was just oh, like oh they got yeah. it from dead man
2: yeah. i thought this little story too that was kind of funny that wincott's character relates about cole having fucked both of his parents cooked them and ate, and ate them yes yeah and yes. then how the payoff to the, this is one moment where like he Jarmusch does provide a lot of payoff is that we see it's kind of implied. I don't even think you directly see the, maybe you see him shoot, but you don't see the the death exactly. Then mm-hmm. you can sort of, there's a scene with Cole and Wincott's character where they're Wincott's going on and he's ta- he's a talker, right? <laughs> and then you kind of get the impression that something is going to happen. And then he does kind of You're basically say, yeah. it's implied yeah. that he's killed. And then next thing you know, Cole is eating a, a, what looks like an arm. Yeah. <laughs> he's chewing on an arm
0: it's, really, it's good yeah, lance Hansen,
2: I, I love him he's um
0: one of my favorite kind of like little character actor guys his face is so scary in this movie it's like he looks like a monster just his just his like heavily lined um sunburned face
1: but he's not very much of a, a rom-com actor <laughs> right you know like there's a certain movie lance henrickson is in yep and uh a certain character he plays and it's just that's what he's got, and he's made a, a whole career out of it, and it's amazing. It's yeah,
0: it's great. I, I love him in uh, Pumpkinhead. Oh, that's right. He's a
1: he's the uh, Pumpkinhead resurrects. Yeah, yeah, he resurrects Pumpkinhead right, right? It's always funny when he's just kind of a, a regular character in a movie, like or, and not like some weird psychopath. He's in Silence of the Lambs. He's just like Clarice's, like I don't like, know, whatever. Operational commander. Yeah, or whatever, and like, he's just kind of normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's still an FBI agent, and he's. It's supposed to be intimidating but he's not like
0: he's like a, he's a detective in the first terminator he's not like a bad guy it's oh right <laughs> it's yeah 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 he's just he's just a cop commander dude of course his, his most famous role i think is unquestionably bishop
2: yeah mm-hmm.
0: definitely aliens
2: yeah he also he did a show i think that chris carter the curator of uh, x-files did but it was following x-files run he there was a show millennium i believe then handrickson yeah. was the star mm-hmm. of yeah, which I never think, quite took off. I, I, I think thing. I've heard of
0: that, but I, I'm not familiar otherwise.
1: Yeah, was he in X Files ever? I wonder. He has a great face for X Files. Yeah, he sounds sure. like.
2: An <laughs> face. Yeah, he probably <laughs> was in one episode or two or something. Right. Yeah, so many people were. Yeah,
1: Jack Black. He was in the episode I think of X Files where uh, the electricity kid or whatever. Damn, Jack Black. Uh, nothing of note, but yeah. Uh,
2: right. <laughs> Another interesting little nugget is the whole scene with the general sort of store where they're, nobody and, and Blake are attempting to purchase, they're going to try to purchase a canoe. And I don't even remember the reason why they exactly needed the canoe, but Alfred Molina is the sort of priest that I guess is the proprietor as well of the the general store
0: yeah some kind of evangelicals traveling salesmen or something um also very very heavily uh, involved in the
2: tobacco, tobacco trade as, as, it, as it as it goes on something interesting is that nobody quotes the vision of christ that thou dost see is really interesting because there is this poem this is from the vision of christ uh, that thou dost see is a reference to blake's poem on the many faces of god the poem is actually titled The Everlasting Gospel. I'll go ahead and read this since it's just a, a few brief lines. The vision of Christ that thou dost see is my vision's greatest enemy. And that's the li- those two lines, I think, are what nobody actually says. Thine has yep. a great hook nose like thine. Mine has a snub nose like to mine. Thine is a friend of all mankind. Mine speaks in parables to the blind. Thine loves the same world that mine hates. Thy heaven doors are my hell gates. Socrates taught what Meletus loathed as a nation's bitterest curse. And Caiaphas and Caiaphas was in his own mind, a benefactor to mankind. Both read the Bible day and night, but thou readest black where I read white. Perhaps that's drawing a bit of a, I guess, this bit of this duality or this like dyadic relationship between, mm. between Melina's character and and nobody as sort of yeah. opposite sides of this christian pagan sort of confrontation maybe sure sort of what this is evoking yeah or evocative of i, I think so also
1: black and white it's movies in black and white that's all i that's all i'm here for folks <laughs> just the
2: silly the silly stuff <laughs> fantastic
1: but no definitely and and it's it's, I think those connections with Blake are the more subtle, you know? But I, I, I definitely understand what you're saying where, you know, there. I wish there was more of a stronger connection. But uh, but again, a part of me loves the, the, the white character of Johnny Blake, the, the, the protagonist of this film. has no idea who William Blake is yeah. at all.
2: In terms of the cinematography, I mean, I mentioned this in an episode that Nick and I did about uh, the man who wasn't there. And black and white mm. cinematography is is almost cheating, to, a, to an extent <laughs> just because of the, the contrast you can achieve right lighting yeah. and shadow and and so and like the compositional range of that that starkness that contrast is just immensely powerful here i don't know i feel like it was under even though there were there were you know standout shots i would have liked to seen a little bit more variation in terms of the lighting to really take advantage yeah. of that because i feel like the lighting yeah. is primarily there's not a lot of it's a pretty evenly lit film overall. Like, there's not a lot of shadow used, especially contrasted
0: with the man who wasn't there. Right. Um, oh yeah,
2: that. just sure. you, you you just it's said just that. Dripping
0: title. with. What popped into my head is like, what's his face? Uh, the, Freddie the, Reed Schneider. No, no, no. What's um the guy? Well, that him, yeah, <laughs> but the the dad from Step Brothers. Um, we love him. Oh, Richard Jenkins. Jenkins. Mm. He's sitting on his he's sitting on his porch on the veranda, the wraparound porch, and like. The shadows from the trees, the leaves, and the sh- and then the double shadows and- of him in the veranda—it's uh, just dripping with like that atmospheric shadows, like you were saying. And, and yeah, not too much of that here. The lighting—it's—it's it's not awful, but it's certainly not the the movie's main strength. I think the movie's primarily like its cinematar cinematographic biggest strength definitely is like um, picking a spot for the camera to be. Yes, and then. Mm-hmm slow but deliberate or small but deliberate movements of panning pans, and, and following people just riding there's one i remember in particular it's the three bounty hunters the camera's placed in the middle of a shallow canyon they're riding towards us and then they pass out a frame and then the camera just pans down a little bit and shows uh the letter that william blake had dropped. yes confirming oh, yeah. his, yeah. Mm-hmm. Confirming his uh, more more paper imagery right 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 from his job but but he left that behind as he left his whole life behind because he's on this vision quest now that was a great um, moment that stood out for me too. Like you're
1: saying that it's not the the blacks and the whites aren't very contrasted in this film. And, you know, I, I think that's true of some of the other uh, Robbie Mueller films, uh, at least that he's done with uh, Jarmusch. So, you know, for Jarmusch and Robbie Mueller, they did coffee and cigarettes together. Some, another some segments, another black and white. And then down by law. He's also the the cinematographer for another one of early Jarmer's black and white films. And they do, I think they do have a more washed out look to them. You know, they're not using... Whatever techniques get you that more, you know, contrast and whatever film stock. Although I do wonder if this was even shot on film. Probably 1995. Yeah, like There's no way it was shot digital because, you know, Matrix and then, of course, the prequel Star Wars films were some of the first ones to really shoot entirely on digital. So this is shot on film. But yeah, I, I think the the that more washed out look is, is probably intentional similar to how maybe we think of old Westerns, you know, uh, especially that haven't been preserved as well, you know, film preservation and all that, especially really, really old Westerns, you know, some of those, those Tom mix and uh, other old silent black and white ones, they kind of have this, this kind of feel to them. The camera movement is I think what's the most interesting and just where,
2: where he places that camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I Compositions. some of the ones that sit out like there was one shot where the train is emerging from the tunnel and it's a low angle Mm -hmm. shot the camera's Mm -hmm. kind of in the bottom left corner of the frame and it's like looking up as the train comes out like that was a great example of yeah that's when we get the title
1: cards too i think that's like uh because when it goes into the tunnel is when we see dead man and then the titles you know go from the bottom to the top of the screen and i think as we as it comes yeah it, it goes from black to the yeah that shot your you
0: mentioned is the come town font
1: oh yeah it is it really is the town font it's incredible uh, it's supposed to be bones of course folks bones <laughs> not, yeah uh, not ropes of not ro- <laughs> not ropes <laughs> and, then, uh, and then i i think jarmish's name comes up as yeah yes. we see that that shot of the train and like a signal thing yeah it's it's a great shot
2: I love too, like when the train actually pulls into machine and the stack, the smokestack atop the the engine, I guess, billing without smoke. That was a really nice visual.
0: I think it's um, good, folks. It's a good movie. (laughs) What I was referring to about like the motionlessness of the camera for so many shots, uh, not all of them, but like the most prominent ones and then just kind of slowly rotating, minimal movement that reflects the way the violence kind of plays out to kind of the way the shootouts and the action scenes go. Because um, Johnny Depp, William Blake, he doesn't do a quick draw. He just kind of casually, whenever he has to, he pulls out his gun and he shoots people. And it feels like you do when you're in a dream, like you're trying to do something, some kind of physical activity that's like strenuous, but you do every day in real life. Like you you run, you want to walk down a hallway in a dream, but it feels like you're moving through water. And, and that ties into his character, right? Because he, he knows he's dead. He, he knows he already died and he just needs to complete that process. So he's there's no fear that and someone else will put a bullet in him. He's just moving. He's just going through the motions and he's doing this. He's doing these like I was saying like no overcoming these nodes of spiritual impediments in his way to his ultimate his ultimate death. And and yeah, I, I just Johnny Depp. His movements felt like the camera's movements in this movie. Like just slow, deliberate, effective, completely unconcerned with trifling little things that might might fly up and interfere with it, but just
2: methodical. Some of the shots, I think the close-ups near the end with the last tribe that they encounter, the one that's sort of based on the Pacific Northwest indigenous folks, I thought those shots, the close-ups of Depp's face were really good and then sort of like editing in those shots of the sky because I think there's even a reference earlier in the film about, about observing the sky and I can't, I didn't quite Get it in my notes to know. I don't know. Does that ring a bell for Yeah,
1: us? I think it's the first lines of the film. It's when Crispin Glover is like, "Remember when you're on the boat looking yeah. at the sky and yes. you, okay. s- you see the landscape moving, but you're not moving?"
2: Right. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yes, yeah. that was it.
0: The beginning and the end of this movie really are so intertwined. From from that quote to the the way that the walking down the the main the main thoroughfare of a town mm-hmm. is shot to the way people look at him as he's in, in confusion, kind of curiosity.
1: Yeah. And then as, you know, the modes of transportation and what Crispin Glover says is that, you know, yep. the boat is not moving, but the landscape's moving around you. It's similar to the train, right? It doesn't seem like the train's actually going anywhere, but everything around them is going somewhere. Yeah. No, I think they're very, it is, this film is a ro How do you say or, that? or or, 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 or Yeah, that thing. It's, it's that. Yeah, it
2: is. Like the, uh, the libidinal band, the Mobius Strip. <laughs> nice. mm, I like it. Yes. And then what, so what's the,
1: what's the Joyce book that like, it doesn't matter where you start reading. You can read anywhere.
0: Uh, that, James that is Finnegan's Oh, good. Yeah. Finnegan's Finnegan's Wake. Wake. That is Finnegan's Wake. Cause and that's, the, this film
1: similar. Like it doesn't really matter where you start this film.
0: Fuck you, I hate that you got that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so good. We got it together. I don't know we the names that. of books. I don't read them. I'm, I'm
0: illiterate, please. <laughs> you got the overall big, meaningful point. I got the pedantic bullshit detail. That, that's <laughs> that's very, it's very us. That's, that's, us. that's <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes,
1: sometimes. <laughs> we, it's opposite. That's we, the beauty of both, our friendship. We both do both.
0: Um, yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Finnegan's Wake, uh, famously, it starts in the middle of a sentence, which is then completed in the last line. So, you could, you could theoretically read it as an Ouroboros.
2: One of the few special effects. Other, there's a little bit of CGI smoke in machine that's kind of like coming out of a stack. There's the comet, but the, one of the kind of like practical effects is in the village at the end, they have that sort of the entrance to the lodge has a bird beak that opens and closes mechanically. Yeah, so that was, yes. yeah, that was that pretty was cool. fucking cool. Yeah, it's like, um, the,
0: like this. I don't even know where like it was going into, just like a some kind of lodge, like you were saying, or yeah, I was thinking like a smoke hut or something. They're going to do some kind of peyote vision quest Oh, thing.
1: yeah, yeah. Well, another nice practical effect, an in-camera effect, I'd imagine, is when is nobody like tripping out when he sees Blake with a, a skull face? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. He's I, he's I, taken I, the he's either smoked or ingested yeah. peyote at that point. Yep. Yeah, and I assume that's some kind of double
1: exposure, because it 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 looks old timey, right? Like it doesn't, it does not look like a 1995 effect by any means. Um, And I and I say that with love, of course.
0: Didn't they used to do effects like that with Quicksilver or something? They used to
1: do a lot of stuff with Quicksilver and Mercury, and then they realized that those things kill you, yeah, yeah, and they stopped like it, doing that. But It, it yeah. looks
0: like that, like they actually physically like bleached the, the film strip or something. It's possible. Some kind, it's, some kind of manual thing. Yeah, it's either some kind
1: of in-camera trick or some kind of manual edit of the actual film strip itself. Yeah, one of my favorite things in movies and old time movies is the the Orphic trilogy by the um, director, French director Jean Cocteau, and also poet and writer, etc. But um, there's a part where like he's supposed to go into a mirror, he like jumps into a mirror and it's literally Mercury. He so jumps he into a into vat into of Mercury. Of mercury. Oh, yeah. Jesus. And I just like I always look it up He jumps into a Mercury vat. Did he die of this? What happened later in his life? That is wild. <laughs> Yeah, you can't really find much about it, but it is definitely a pool of, mer- of liquid mercury.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. It should be mentioned, too, that this movie is regarded for having um, extremely well-researched and accurate um, in terms of its depiction of Native American um, mm. culture. Yep. There yep. are whole sentences, and apparently the languages are Cree and Blackfoot yep. um, that are apparently very accurate and have a number of like clever puns in them or something. Oh, wow. But just completely, no no subtitles, just... You know, Johnny Depp walks up on on nobody, and he's hooking up with this this hut Native yes. American lady, and, yes. and they have they have an argument in in one of those two
2: languages, and mm-hmm. you, you get what they're saying, even though you don't know it's not yeah. translated. You can sort you. of imply. Yeah, she's that but, would yeah. be a good spot where this wordplay probably happened to be. Honest. Yeah, exactly. Oh,
1: I yeah. bet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she's she's Native American actress. She's Canadian, and I believe Gary Farmer is Canadian as well. You know, so obviously. Some pedant wants to go, oh, well, they're not the exact, you know, from the exact tribe or nation that they represent in the film. It's like, okay, sure. That's Gary nice. Apper-
0: Gary Farmer is apparently Cayuga, which is um, an indigenous. That's like Ohio. Uh, he, he's, from, he's from Canada. He's from Canada. So maybe far, farther north. The but...
2: Co, what is it? The Co? I feel like, isn't that a city in Ohio? Can yeah, you, okay, river. Where no, Jim no, no it's, it's,
0: from? It's Cayuga, C A Y U G A is the name of his tribe. Oh,
2: okay. There was one moment, one of you mentioned earlier, the two marshals that yes. end up getting killed, and one of them, really a hilariously written scene where Blake shoots one of them in the stomach, and that character has a shotgun or a rifle, and that ends up shooting the other, yeah, <laughs> the other marshal. <laughs> so he gets kind of get two birds with one stone, yeah, vibe to it.
0: And uh, the one that shoots the other one when his head falls onto the fire place uh the fire pit it looks like a I mean, yeah lance harrickson says it looks like a goddamn religious icon yeah
2: it reminded me of like byzantine christian mm-hmm. sort of art and again yeah. I, I don't know how with that think... halo like coming out yeah. it's kind of oh, like yeah. because the he landed right in the midst of the fire that it looks like lennon too. that blake blake <laughs> and, blake had shared a fire. blake and nobody were had camped out the night before yep. this fire nobody leaves and blake is still there yeah and so sleeps in the fire or whatever and it's like this very specific kind of circular pattern with the sticks kind of laid out around it like a halo and then one of those marshals falls his head's in there this reminds me of byzantine kind of yeah christian art
0: and i again i don't know how far we're going to tease this out but like he's the one that whose headlands like that is the one that shot the other one so like right. I, I don't know if we were we're making some kind of really deep dive into like the the violence of christianity or or what what like religious iconography like projecting onto people who believe right. in it like because one of them he's the one that shot the other i don't know that's that's kind
2: of really tenuous but it, it was just it just looked cool <laughs> maybe that's it. yeah yeah let's go with that i like that better yeah <laughs> <laughs> there was a reference to like whenever because dickinson originally hires the three bounty hunters which is it's one of them is cole the
0: mm-hmm.
2: lance hendrickson character and then we also have.
1: Uh, w- Wincott's character's name is Conway Twill. Yes. I believe. Conway Twill. E- Eugene Bird's character is the kid Sam Pickett, I want to say, might be his name.
2: Yeah. But it's interesting that there were a few times this recurring motif of a group of three. Mm. Yeah. Because we have them, and then we also have the three. The scene with billy bob thornton and iggy pop that's a group of three as well and then i feel like maybe there's even another that i'm that i'm overlooking and i was hmm. wondering what that if either of you caught that or like had any ideas for perhaps what this could be pointing to or at all yeah.
1: I, don't, I think those are the only two groups of three because the Marshalls is two there's, um and then you could say long. the and nobody's one and then the alfred molina thing there's i guess you could say two because there's that little guy who gets shot in the doorway who has no oh it's three because there's that other person outside who shoots johnny depp when he's sitting on the canoe as yeah. well right. So, um, yeah
0: i guess I, that's a more
1: tenuous connection of right. three people there but
0: uh i think with the bounty hunters it was just kind of a rule of three thing in, in like storytelling and just you need you need more than just a, a, a like a, a duo to, to kind of build up Lance Henriksen as, as the most like yeah I guess that's true most corrosive of these, of right. these things following him.
1: We'll go Street. with that. <laughs> yeah, let's
0: go. I like that. It's the Holy Trinity.
1: Yeah. You know why not? Sure.
2: <laughs> and then sort of I guess at the the climb the end of the film, whenever basically nobody is placing Blake into the dugout canoe and shoves him off into the ocean he talks about the mirror the place where the sea meets the sky and this being a a place where Blake can go back to where he came from which I thought was a very kind of cool poetic thing but it also reminded me and maybe even their earlier canoe scene reminded me of the river Styx and like he was the ferryman him mm. across kind of yeah. kind of well, to the other side, or what have you. But then they kind of repeat this at the end, so I don't know if that even even really works.
0: I think if we stick with our one of our central ideas that we established at this point, that the beginning mirrors the end a lot. Yeah, nobody at this point kind of almost takes on the Crispin Glover role in a sense, like being that. Yeah. That, okay. That psychopomp, in it's like classical sense but like Karen, the the very middle of the river sticks psychopomp is. A spirit who who guides a dying person's soul into the underworld, and into the afterlife. Of course, we needed the whole. Nobody's much more of a central character, much more of an independent character, right? Than the Kristen Glover uh, ferryman, train ferryman guy. But um, yeah, I mean, the whole the whole film builds up to that. It, it's it's like this almost Viking funeral kind of yeah, deal, ex-
2: right, Selling yeah. off into um into Valhalla. That's exactly what I was thinking about too.
1: Like that one movie where Vikings and Indians fight. You know that one
0: yes uh I, jesus i i know the title it's pathfinder, pathfinder yes. yeah <laughs> uh, it's based off of a comic a comic right? yeah
1: yeah I'm that sure it's back, terrible
0: yeah no it looks kind of whatever it was made back in back in like the mid-aughts when mm-hmm. they were making random ass comic book movies yeah like and, cowboys you know, versus aliens Cowboys aliens 30 days of night that kind of yeah like, oh yeah it, mm-hmm. it, it feels very much like those like mm-hmm. ultra serious but like goofy genre conceits yeah
1: Yeah, but this film is nothing like
0: that. It's just also has some Viking stuff here. But a nice counterpoint because like Westerns, I mean, knowing knowing the history of Westerns over the history of cinema, like they, they used to be the superhero movies of their time. Like in the, there was a glut of Westerns from like all the way up until the 50s and the 60s. Um,
1: 70s even. I mean, you know, that's when it starts. They they start becoming more violent and more revisionist and and more um, self-aware. And then this idea of kind of like the acid Western and such with some of the stuff that Corman's people would make or, you know, like Jack Nicholson was in some really uh, out there Westerns. Yeah, yeah. He made some for, I think they were made for American International Pictures, AIP. Company you made them with filmmaker Monty Hellman, Ride the Whirlwind. I think uh, Criterion released a, a, a collection of just two of them. I forget the other one's name, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's it is. Um, what was your point you were making before I interrupt you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, just that, um, I guess, I guess, just that, like, all that says, like, that I made this point earlier, but like, it, it's in keeping with the tongue in cheek, um, awareness of the like, this isn't. Not the the sense of like, oh, this isn't your grandpa's Western, but like we're doing something different than your grandpa's Western, even though it's presented using the same
2: materials. I wonder if there's any significance to this sort of mirror or this like contrast between the early portion of the film is death, perhaps like this Western idea of death and symbolism as juxtaposed to kind of like this indigenous Native American. Not quite as uh, like Manichaean. Right. View of death. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if there's any kind of sort of greater motif related to just a statement about the overall, you know, sort of American genocide of the Native Americans, or you know, what role that perhaps plays in in that contrast, or you know, the decision to to kind of pursue the end of the film. Right is
0: because he's
2: kind of being i don't they're you know the he's sort of being glared at recall at the the tribes people at the end of the film right well that
0: visually mirrors when the train passengers are true right right yeah exactly Mm -hmm. definitely and i think the very visual of nobody calls it where the sun meets the sky the horizon line of the ocean yeah the sun in the sky that that's a that's a binary like manichaean divide between two between two realms and sky and the way to solve that, the way to, I guess, like make a synthesis out of these the two opposing forces is to sail into it to send the to send his dead body into where they meet the horizon. So when he dies, it, there's some kind of resolution between the two.
2: That sort of wraps up the stuff I had in my notes, other than one like super minor, just random detail yeah. that I noticed that at least at one portion of the film, Johnny Depp is almost distinctly wearing, I'm almost hundred percent sure they are Doc Martins. Yes, nice. you pointed this,
0: you put him this Hell out. Oh yeah, it looked like it. Uh, whenever he's lying down, you can see his feet. I, th- I
2: think it's when he's curled up next to the fawn. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm super. Watch that portion. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's incredible.
2: Which also, that little scene perhaps was what happened because remember, Cole shoots randomly. Maybe that is like the little fawn was killed by. Cole shot? Yeah,
0: I, I think that works on, again on a kind of a spiritual logic because just like sh- shooting bullets out into nature, it's, it's going to harm something eventually. Um, so oh, even, right. if not, even if they're not strictly logistically connected, like the implication is they're like the, the, the body hunters are chasing him in like a, swir- like a swirl, just round, like circling each other until one of them hits the ocean.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Cole shoots when he gets shot with an arrow. That's right. Yes, he right. just shoots randomly. It's a very cool rifle. It's like a sniper rifle. It has a scope on the whole length of the barrel. It's one of those old school ones.
0: I guess the last point I have to make is like uh, I I like how William Blake's his, his deadliness, his physical abilities, they they grow as his kind of his spiritual understanding grows too. I, I, I like when movies do that, like when on, on a character level, like equating mastery of the world around you it comes from the same place of strength that your, your spiritual awareness does Mm. Um, to to use a really obvious kind of hacky example, like star Wars, right? Like in the original trilogy, as as Luke, Luke doesn't really learn how to fight that much. Like from Yoda, he he learns like spiritual lessons. He learns how to, how to exist and how to handle himself and how to handle his emotions. And that just translates to, he knows how to fight with a lightsaber now. It feels very mythic when movies do that. It it feels very um, holistic, more than like, Training montages like in Rocky are fun, but like yeah. it's ex- operating a completely different realm of of storytelling. I, I, I like when movies do what this movie did, which is spiritual growth corresponds with with mastery of the world around you.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question, Nick, because you're a weeb, and it's something I've heard you say before, but I never have any understanding of it because I'm not a weeb. Would you say this is a shonen manga?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I knew you're gonna say that. <laughs> that's a joke question and this is this is a serious answer like that's what i expected i didn't <laughs> want a joke answer <laughs> shonen manga obviously manga is is a storytelling that primarily comes from japan or exclusively comes from japan and like that kind of non non western non manichaean spirituality i th- this is kind of a painting with a broad brush but i think you could make the argument that there is shared dna like in in the in the traditional shonen manga ma- manga like the obvious example is, is dragon ball z or something yeah, there, there is training that you do see Goku like working out and learning to fight. But just as important is his spiritual sense because he literally shoots like the spirit bombs, the, the Kamehameha. Mm. There, there, there's an equivalence of spiritual and physical mastery. It's not that they're related, it's just that they're one and the same. And, and I'm I, so I, glad I asked this question. Yeah, no, that, that's <laughs> the, <laughs> the exact answer I wanted. That was good. Thank you <laughs> for giving me that prompt.
1: Oh, how often do people talk about Shodan manga and Dead Man? <laughs> huh? Never. Only here on M U H H.
0: It's it's like that Twitter account, like previously unsaid sentences in human, <laughs> in human history. Yeah. Just yeah.
2: <laughs> nice. Any other thoughts to wrap us up?
1: Yeah, just a good flick. Uh, the Criterion Collection, uh, I don't have that version, but I think I'm going to get it because it has a lot of answers to some of the questions we've been asking. Like there's apparently nice. Jarmusch's location scouting photos, so that'll be interesting to see. Nice. Of course, the commentary would be interesting. There's also a Q&A with Jarmusch. He responds to questions sent in by fans. There's readings of William Blake poetry by members of the cast. That's just really cool. interesting stuff about the production design by the production designer. I'd love to hear so,
2: Wincott read a, one of Blake's poems. Yeah, right. His That'd be so dope. Kind of like voice. Yeah, like that, that just, the lamb or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. That was my that was my quick commercial for Criterion. Please pay me money. <laughs> um, I know you probably don't have a lot, but you probably have more because of quarantine.
2: It's true. You yeah. know. On that note, if either one of you want to plug your
1: stuff.
0: Um, Nick, yeah. do you have it up?
1: Because I always forget every single, <laughs> uh, every time.
0: Yeah, we have a podcast, Proletarian Contrarian. We do uh, leftist analysis of bad movies. We try to find the good stuff in bad movies. Just have a have a grand old time talking about some movies that are hidden gems that have a bad reputation that they, that they don't deserve, or movies that are just straight up horrible. We we find out that the consensus sometimes is accurate. On Twitter, we are at Proletarian C. All, other, all of our other stuff, uh, Instagram, Letterbox, uh, SignCloud, You can find us. It's just Proletarian Contrarian. Pretty, pretty simple search.
1: We're on a bit of a hiatus, but we have episodes coming up hopefully in the next few months. Hopefully yeah,
0: hi- hiatus, but not not abandoned for sure. No, exactly.
1: Yeah, we've we've hit 101, which is really cool, yep. and we hope to hit 201 one day, <laughs> maybe 301. Thousand,
0: I don't thousand, know. 1,000. One
1: thousand. <laughs> nick um, has another podcast Oh yeah. Um, and i'll do all the plugs for that no i'm kidding
0: <laughs> yeah i'm also um i always mention one i never mentioned both of them but yeah i'm also on a one true pod um it is a uh catholic lensed uh view of media um usually movies but we do we do this stuff too like opera and tv shows and music but that i do that with my friends uh june and claire i say catholic lens and all of us are some flavor of catholic i i bring a lapsed catholic um, agnostic atheist perspective to it but kind of kind of the thing that that unites the three of us the way we look at art and stuff but that's another one we're also on um soundcloud uh patreon all the requisite sites here oh yeah it's just uh one underscore true underscore pod
1: yeah it's a good podcast folks they talk about comic books they talk about opera they talk about TV, movies, we the Bible,
0: I assume. We did, we did an episode on Hieronymus Busk, um, the Garden of Earthly Delights trip. Paintings,
1: folks. Yeah, they paintings. talk about
0: paintings. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking culture.
2: That was fun. Uh, of course, I'll throw links up in the show notes. This will be the Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry and Taylor Atkins signing off for the week.
1: The very rules of eating, of negativity, and synchronizing Including the
0: ultimate form of security, which is how okay. to okay. the world state of things in view of violence without object This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real. Point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding
1: here.
2: What I did mean? is
0: the following. With nothing left but recycled, whitewashed, lobotomized people. As in uh, block work
1: orange.